0: I was a backup quarterback my whole career. I never started college or the NFL. And so you learn servant leadership and how to lead from the sideline. It actually was great practice for being an investor because you're not on the field. Your founders, your operators are, and you're trying to help call in plays and get to the locker room and make sense of things. I think it was always in my energy and my spirit personally to learn how to serve as a partner and so that was good for us but in general that's how we came into the industry and today it's now even more relevant
1: from the pot connect studios high in the rockies at the beautiful beaver creek resort it's the raising cannabis capital show Today on MJ Bulls, we are continuing this year's 212 Cannabis Investor Series with an old friend, Matt Nordgren, the founder and managing partner of Arcadian Capital. Matt, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Dan. Always good to be with you. What a year it's been. Uh, Glad to be sitting back here and let's try to make sense of some of this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's been a crazy 12 months and I'm glad you're back. What would a cannabis investor series be without you? This is our fourth annual and you've been here every year. One thing from one of the previous times we spoke that's always stuck in my mind was that you said when you first started, you reverse engineered the cannabis risk factors to figure out the least risky way to invest in the industry. Maybe you can elaborate a little little bit more to get things started on on that. Yeah,
0: it's a a core principle of ours at Arcadian is to think about particular assets in this space, different verticals, and think of them as compared businesses that do the same thing, not in cannabis. Because ultimately when institutionalization does happen, uh, knowing how institutionals and major markets think They want to understand value and multiples associated with things like revenue and EBITDA, of course. And so when you say reverse engineer, we think about that as, okay, if you're a CRM business or something like that, or you're a packaging and bottling business, we can go take our platforms and research and analysts and say, go find me every packaging company, every CRM company that has ever raised a B round. And I want to know what their EBITDA multiples were, what their values were. Ultimately, in their D, their pre-IPO, what were their exits? What were they acquired at? What does Salesforce pay for CRM? So forth. Yeah. And then what we want to be able to do is go into a conversation in this industry. We recognize that it's an emerging space. And based on market share and growth, you should apply a premium valuation in many cases to the Normal multiple, but we need to at least have founders that understand what they're doing and what the value would be for that business if it was not in this space. Mm -hmm. And so, if a CRM business trades at a 12 multiple or something, we need to be able to say, okay, if you're the winner in CRM and cannabis, what is your business based on a 10 multiple, a 12 multiple, a 14 multiple? We're not too concerned. With a company worth 32 cents or 28 cents in a particular round, it's more important for us that ultimately the company achieves being valued at a dollar, right? What is four cents if you get to the dollar? That's what's important. So we want founders to feel comfortable that they have enough value to create for themselves, that there's enough left to build in the company, that we're not going to crunch them at a growth round or an early stage round. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we can't allow founders to not use fair comparables with how real markets and real institutionals think about their type of business.
1: Yeah. Because it's cannabis, you just can't let <laughs> just invest willy-nilly. You have to have some sort of benchmarks to work with it. You've always said to me that cannabis and all the businesses in cannabis are sort of the high risk, high reward businesses. That's always been the foundation. Are you seeing that change or is that still the the case today? Well, I think every year there's
0: less risk, certainly. But if you went to JP Morgan private wealth or you sat with CalPERS pension endowment funds, anybody that's a sizable financial group is going to categorize this as a high risk, high return. It hasn't changed because it's a little bit less risk now every year. But in our minds, there are definitely riskier industries, but we also understand it very well. And so in your last question, it was about how do you present this and so that there's less risk than what they would normally perceive to convince major allocators to enter our space. And the way to do that in an emerging industry is to offer a hedged and diversified approach. Typically Mm -hmm. in an emerging industry, You hear the old theory that 20% of your companies become 80% of your return. And so in many ways, it's hard to imagine that in the early 90s, for sure, who was going to win the internet or tech run. It takes years with really substantial groups, with lots of positions, working through a highly fragmented industry and putting things together so that it makes sense for an institutional. So I think that really is the way to reduce risk is to work in a portfolio. And so we try to offer that and so do the other great funds in this space. But uh, on top of that, by making sure you align and properly valued situations, you think about compliance factors, you think about having independent board, trying to even do things like structure capital so that it comes in in waves when you do a round. We try to let founders feel comfortable with maybe upsizing around, but saying if you meet these metrics, you get to have the capital flow in versus giving it all to them at once. I mean, we're trying to do as many things as we can that doesn't take away from the business's ability to grow, but ultimately reduces the risk so that the narrative for these major capital providers, which have largely not entered this space yet, ultimately become convinced to allow capital to flow here in a way that we
1: can get real resources to these founders who deserve them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I have a theory about cannabis. I never really shared it with anybody, but I thought I'd float it with you and see if it makes sense for you. It's a team sport versus an individual sport. And, And I think early on in cannabis, it was a really an individual sport. People just don't want to talk because they couldn't talk about what they were doing. So they kind of went it on their own. And I'm seeing this transition right now where it's more of a team sport. There's a lot more people collaborating on ideas, including investors. And you're a pro football player. You've been on a team's your whole life. Do you think this is the way it's going and more into a team sport?
0: I do. It's a great theory. Dan, you talk to a lot of people. And so it'd be hard to argue with you if you feel Mm -hmm. that way. But We actually feel that way as well, and we always have. For me, you brought up football. I was a backup quarterback my whole career. I never started college or the NFL. And so you learn servant leadership and how to lead from the sideline. It actually was great practice for being an investor because you're not on the field. Your founders, your operators are, and you're trying to help call in plays and get to the locker room and make sense of things. I think it was always in my energy and my spirit personally To learn how to serve as a partner. And so that was good for us. But in general, that's how we came into the industry. And today it's now even more relevant because of the high fragmentation that exists in an emerging industry as it achieves institutionalization. So, what is happening that's forcing that, Dan, is that there isn't anybody in this industry that's doing something that nobody else in the world has ever done. Let's just be, I guess, some of the MSOs, no one's ever built cannabis at this level, but there are plenty of big, large Fortune 100 companies that do agriculture and manufacturing and brick-and-mortar retail and testing and district. I mean, it's just a different ingredient set. But ultimately, if your data, software, HR, compliance, media, packaging, bottling, you're not going to get bigger than the Fortune 100s or 500s that offer those same lines of services to other industries. And so as you get closer to being a big fish, and many of our companies are over that 500 million valuation mark now, some over a billion. And so they're really becoming unicorn status or whatever they call it. But regardless, there's trillion dollar companies in this world now, right? Like (laughs) Apple or something, you're not going to get there probably. And so as you get bigger and you become to being thought of as a target for these big Fortune 100s, you realize that they do have an option to just say, well, I'm Salesforce, right? I'm Oracle. I pretty much can build technology. I know how to do CRM and inventory management at a very high level. Could I possibly in six months build a platform that's as good as anybody's in cannabis today? Well, it's hard to argue that they could probably do that. And so you have to think about the fact that we need to present a buy versus build mentality. And so as we get closer to this peak, these companies are realizing that this isn't just how big or great you are in cannabis. Like you said, Mm -hmm. in the early days, you were keeping everything close and you didn't want to tell anybody. You just wanted to be the best. Well, now you realize that you're never going to be the best in the world at CRM. It's just not going to happen if all you're doing is cannabis. So the best thing you can do is continue to fortify your position as a buy opportunity, either yeah. for the markets or an acquisition by a sales force, as an example. And so you're starting to see these founders of these companies in this space, if they're number one or two or three or four in market share for whatever they do, realizing the time is probably coming that you're going to have to sit at the table and be ready to cut a deal And if you're not gonna cut a deal with Salesforce, they're not gonna sit on the sideline forever and not do CRM for a $30, $40, $50 billion industry. They're gonna offer product to that industry with or without you. And so you're seeing the teamwork because they're feeling the pressure of fortifying their positions, gaining market share, getting contracts, bolting on more API integration and more widgets and trying to be bigger and better and a prettier prom date, you know, when the dance comes than they
1: were before. Is my theory. So I know it makes a lot of sense, but you just really solidified my belief on that one is that whether I'm an investor and I try to do it on my own, it's not happening anymore. You need to work with a team like the people at Arcadian, or if I'm a cannabis company and I want to get to that next level, I need the expertise of guys like you that can say, Hey, Let me introduce you to this group. They're interested in possibly buying. I don't even know who those people were, but you have that network. And that's what I talk about the team. I love the idea of you being the backup quarterback. You're being a little bit humble there, but it is great that you have that training that you can enjoy somebody else's success. I think that's awesome.
0: Well, you want your founders to feel like they're the star. You don't want to take that away from them. It is about them. It's about their company. They're on the field cameras are on them, the crowd's watching them. How can we get them in the best position to punch it in the end zone or something, right? Yeah. And just... When you talk about teamwork, we're seeing this at the investor level too. The funds, all the great funds were very close. And we talk about everything happening in the industry, all the companies, all the deals, all the movements, the politics, because we realize that there's strength in numbers on a cap table too. If we're in a deal with five or six or seven of the other top funds, that gives a lot of confidence to everybody in that if we need to make calls, at least one of us, or if all of us together get on the horn, it's going to be very difficult for a cannabis company to not take it seriously if some of the best funds are there, because likely we have over 50 companies now. Some funds have 70, some have 25 amongst the top funds have positions in every major company in this industry. And we've been able to build respect and a reputation with them. So by having great funds on your cap table that are all friendly and working together, when situations arise, the likelihood that we can make an impact for the business is much greater if the investor funds are working together, along with the fact that the companies and founders are all working together, you can get there.
1: Before I let you go, give me a couple advantages of being part of the Arcadian team. Well, I think we built a a reputation. That's one of our greatest strengths.
0: We think about this as it's not what the world does to you, but what you do to the world. Mm -hmm. And this industry is that. It's taking the earth, building consumer products for it that's both healthy for people and the environment, and then can recycle and get that cycle going again. And so we really take that seriously here. And I think our peers in the industry would say, We're maybe one of the more well-liked firms because we really value what we're doing here in spirit, not just financially. So I think that's a big differentiator for us. I think a lot of people would agree that we've operated that way. The other thing is that our firm is really focused on non-plant touching. And you and I talked about this just before the show. We are going to have a plant touching fund pretty soon that'll really be focused on the B2C aspect. Our differentiator, because a lot of the funds out there are great, but I think our main one is that through our several funds and 50 companies, we've done only non-plant touching. We've done SPVs for plant touching. But as a manager, that really is our specialty area of focus. And I I think of all the top five or 10 funds, however you want to rank them, we may be one of the only ones that has not invested in a plant touching deal through our funds ever. I don't Mm -hmm. know if we're the only one, but we're we're certainly one of the few for that. And by Mm -hmm. the way, those that have invested in plant have done really well. It's not like this is based on IRR or exits. I mean, the differentiator is that that has been where we wanted to focus our efforts largely based on the fact that our capital providers prefer reducing risk in that way. But I think it's the way we operate and the type of
1: strategy we have that differentiates us a little bit. Well, I think it's important that you've niched yourself and that, like you said, you're the company to go to if you're looking for a non-plant tussing, you want a r- little bit less risk. And, you know, I'll have all of the links to Arcadian Capital in the show notes. And so if you're a company that's looking for growth funding or you're somebody that's looking to maybe join the team, click the links. I'm sure somebody from Matt's team will be happy to talk to you. Matt, always fun to catch up. Let's not wait a year this time. Let's have you back on the show soon. Thanks for doing this today.
0: Man, Dan, thank you for creating the space that you do because to me, it feels like a safe space. I think others in this industry would agree. It's a judgment-free zone, (laughs) which... Wouldn't the world be a perfect place if no one judged anybody for anything they ever did and allowed people to judge themselves and your higher power to judge you? But I think this is a place where you create that environment and it's been a joy to be a part of and see you thrive and thankful for your platform and look forward to the next time.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on Pod. Connex, and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.